It's Wednesday, the 9th of November 2016, or the 1st of January, the year one in Trump years. I am Robin Yellow, and this is Tectasm episode 36, Donald Trump's in the face of science and technology. And with me again, because no one else can come up with such great show titles as me, is James Woodall. I have to say credit this week to your show title. Very, very good. It's a peculiarly British show title isn't it it is, it is. Uh, i wonder if our american audience member will uh, will get it <laughs> unlikely unlikely well james this week we're going to be taking very topical taking a look at the new u.s president's threat to net neutrality and science-based policy sony dumps a new playstation on us and google finally solve android's fragmentation problem and we'll be judging these stories and another story as well to tell you if they are a tectasm which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm something existing only in a person's mind so without further babble let's get on with the show so david kravitz reports in ars technica about president-elect donald trump and how he might affect science and technology over the coming four years, or God forbid, eight years. <laughs> You've shown your hand a little bit too early there, James. Yeah. Well, it's hard, um, and um, it's it's actually it's actually really interesting. There's a consistent theme throughout this story um, in my favourite um, website, um, in that almost every policy starts off with the Trump campaign has been a little bit light on information regarding this. Um, so I guess if they're not talking about building a wall in Mexico, they don't really have a lot of information. So, um, yeah. Well, okay, well, let's let's just go, uh, go down the list. So this article is basically from David, and he's talking about how Donald Trump and his uh, presidency is going to affect potentially science and technology over the coming years. And um, let's just start with uh, broadband and net neutrality, which I know is a big deal, a big deal for you. Um, and just for our listeners who don't know what net neutrality is. Oh, I thought you were going to explain that then. But okay, <laughs> oh, I was ding you up. Oh, thanks very much. I thought I'd get a sneaky drink of my uh, can of Coke here. Um, other drinks are available. Um, so, uh, okay, net, net neutrality, I guess, is the concept that everybody should have free and unhindered access to all of the internet without your service provider from getting in the way. Um I mean, or providing subsidies to certain portions of the internet to give an unfair advantage to to some websites. Yeah, so so I guess the overarching uh, point um, from Ars Technica is that do the one thing Donald Trump has spoken about is a temporary moratorium on new agency regulations. Basically, being a Republican, he hates regulation, big government, and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, I guess what he's saying is he doesn't want the government really getting involved in things, which I guess, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I suppose you'll be letting the ISPs kind of running around and doing what they want. Well, okay, so he's anti-regulation. I get that. Um, in what way? Is, so the, the internet requires some regulation, doesn't it, in terms of DNS naming, conventions, ICANN, 
um, you know, effectively providing the top level address for the Internet. And, you know, regulation will could potentially prevent things like um, net neutrality issues by holding to account ISPs that, for example, give favored access to Netflix, which will perhaps prevent other video online video services from from flourishing. So in some ways, uh, in a lot of ways, I think regulation is very helpful to the um, goals and aims of the internet and removing regulation or, or reducing the amount of legislation um, could potentially have an adverse effect. Yeah. And um, I look, it's really weak and it's very thin on the ground in terms of actual information. Um, well, you could argue, can I take that a little bit further, yeah, James, and say that actually I think it's more than that. I think that uh, Donald Trump's campaign or, or, you know, when he was in with the other Republican um, nominees, uh, he was saying one thing. And then when he became the GOP um, candidate, he said a load of other things, and presumably as president, he's going to say a whole load of other things as well. So this this refers not only to the Mexican wall that you referred to earlier, but certainly some of these policies as, as well. Um, he's going to be guided by his advisors on the right thing to do. And of course, that's going to be colored and tainted by his own personal preferences, which, as you say, may be to reduce regulation rather than improve it. Um, uh, because, of course, he comes from the point of view of believing that the market will decide and whatever the market decides is best, which, as uh, sensitive lefty Europeans, we don't wholeheartedly subscribe to the same philosophy. The thing with, with Donald Trump, though, is he gives the people what they want to hear. So um, I was talking to somebody earlier today um, who was basically saying that whatever happens over the next four years will be basically about who shouts loudest. So um, a lot of his policies may not, in fact, get implemented, A, because I don't quite see how we could. So um, I don't actually know how we can possibly predict what Donald Trump is going to do, because I don't think he himself knows. I think he's waiting for somebody to tell him what to do. Yeah, fair enough. Shout. In which case, we may be OK. Yes. So the next point, um, encryption and cybersecurity. Now, Donald Trump was um, very quiet and brushed off when the intelligence community, in fact, the entire intelligence community, pointed the finger at Russia and said that they attacked Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee. Um, so it's interesting when it comes to cybersecurity. I mean, of course, like with the previous one, um, Oz says, like most of his other policies, Trump's cybersecurity plan remains thin. Um, however, um, his policies have called for, and I quote, an immediate review of all U.S. cyber defenses and vulnerabilities, including critical infrastructure, by a cyber review team of individuals from the military, law enforcement, and the private sector. Oh, a review. What uh, on earth does that mean? Um, probably just drawing penises on a piece of paper, I suspect. He's going to review it and make encryption great again. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because when was it not great? Yeah, well, that, that's... Well, it. it's all jingoistic, tub-thumping nonsense, really, isn't it? I mean, a review is just a code yeah. for I'm going to look like I'm doing something but may end up doing nothing. I think that, you know, US cyber defences and vulnerabilities are something that's under constant review and they've got a lot of the world's smartest people worrying about it day in and day out and uh, i'm not sure what effect he'll actually have on this um, next well uh, if actually if i could just quit just bef 
I'm not quite ready to finish this one, um, which is, uh, you know, hold your horses. Um, he did, in fact, call for a boycott of Apple, if you remember when they refused to help out the FBI. That's true. Although, did, yeah. ironically, he all of those tweets came from an iPhone. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but you don't have to be poor just to be a socialist, do you? I mean, the message is still the same. If you think that his natural reaction is to to have a go at Apple when they don't fully comply exactly, with the federal it's government. Him, it's Donald Trump versus the world, right? And that's what people like about him. So he's yeah. standing up. It doesn't matter that he probably completely forgot about everything he spoke about because he was just saying it. For yeah, but I think he's the one thing that he's proved in this entire campaign is that you can say whatever you like as long as he gets a round of applause. Yep, very true. And clearly that's what takes the win in an election. So, um, yeah, the question is how much is that going to change when he becomes president in January? Uh, yeah, okay. Well, okay, let, let's wait and see. Okay, moving on. Science. Let's be vague here. Um, basically, uh, ours starts off by saying, by some accounts, uh, Donald Trump is likely to be a disaster for science. Um, and effectively, they come to that conclusion because he has indicated very little respect for science um, and has also openly talked about stupid things like the fact um, that um, um, he's debunked the suggestion that vaccines can induce autism. So oh, no, is he? Oh God! Yeah, um, he's um, he also, of course, made fun of the whole global warming, saying that China invented global warming, so we'll buy more stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, so Americans per capita consume twice as many hydrocarbons as any other nation on Earth. I can believe that. I can believe that. Well, I mean, they're, they're still. Um, I mean, they, they're still bringing on like coal power plants, and you know. And things like that, which is just... yeah, I, I you know certainly uh, it's easy to point the finger at China, and you have this sort of distorted view that they're producing lots and lots of coal stations. China are a world leader in nuclear energy, a world leader in um, wind turbines, and you know there is they are producing more renewable energy than anybody else. They're just doing a lot of stuff, and they're using the most modern information that they have. Uh, to do the stuff with um, and I think it's easy to point the finger especially as you say if you want to be jingoistic about it and blame China for everything um, I mean in terms of the impact on science uh, the real question will come when you know the appropriations committee for science has to award grants because invariably that's how science is funded through government schemes and grants um, what's interesting is that, you know, the, the parallel with Brexit is that, um, you know, I, I was at a conference on quantum technology last week, um, or was it this week? Uh, no, it was last week. And uh, they were saying that uh, one of the speakers gave a story that they had a very talented Italian scientist that applied for a job at this august scientific institution to do research into quantum technology. And then after the Brexit vote, decided not to take the job because he didn't feel welcome anymore. And uh, the question, of course, is to what extent will this sort of isolationist policy um, and kind of front, if nothing else, deter the world's most talented individuals from A, working in America, and B, from Appropriations Committee, um, keeping their science grants up high? Yeah, well, you, you know, back in the like, medieval times when there was like the um, the ban on science for... You know, because of re um, the whole religion thing, and there was a, a period of time where not a lot really happened. Maybe we're just going to have a mini one of those. 
you know, mm-hmm. where just kind of the world sort of focuses on reality TV and, you know, other important things like that. Um, and uh, for just a couple of years, um, you know, I can definitely imagine there being more Apprentice spin-offs now, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, look. Um, At least that show's going to end. <laughs> this is true. If it, if it hasn't already, I don't I've know. I've no idea. Okay, well, let's just move on. Space exploration. Now, Donald Trump is a big fan of private enterprise, and he doesn't like the government doing too many things. Therefore, it's not unfeasible to think that he might try and reduce NASA and get more companies like SpaceX getting involved. So that would probably make a lot of sense. And to be fair, um, because of SpaceX and is it blue origin? Um, Uh, Yes. That's the, yes. One of them is Musk. Yeah. The other is Paul Allen or somebody. Isn't it from Microsoft? Oh, is it Bezos? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but I mean, it, or certainly the public perception of space flight has gone leaps and bounds since SpaceX and Jeff Bezos have come to the um, the frame. However, I guess there's nothing really to measure against. Maybe NASA were doing really great things anyway. I mean, who knows? But look, it seems likely that NASA is going to be stripped back a little bit um, uh, for, um, for these private companies. Um, okay, just moving on. Intellectual property. Now, again... Not a lot has been said about this. However, there's a couple of interesting points that Donald Trump has made. Um, in fact, he talked last year about, and I quote, closing the internet as a way to fight ISIS. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yes, because uh, because somebody's got an off switch somewhere, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, well, Al Gore did say he invented the internet. Did he? So, okay. Uh, yeah. Good. And he won the popular vote, so that just proves. <laughs> Did not mess with the internet because you're going to get shot down. Well, is there any more tech nonsense from Donald the Trump? Um, well, I don't know. There's just a couple of interesting things on patent reform, which is um, Mike Pence is very close to a group of Republicans who oppose patent reform, so they're clearly in the pockets of, um, of some of those patent trolls. Um, and because of Donald Trump and his background, he's very closely tied to the entertainment industry, which is very litigious when it comes to copyright infringement and so forth. Oh, okay. So I think it's going to be a bit of a shit few years for intellectual property as well. So uh, I'm moving on to marijuana. Trump, That's got nothing to do with tech. No, I know, but I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of our listener is uh, is interested in that. Um, Okay, whatever. I'm going to move on. Okay, we've spoken about Donald Trump enough. Um, We have. We've had enough Donald Trump. I'm fed up with it now. I'm feeling a bit, there's a bit of sick in my mouth. Okay, well, let me just bring you up a bit. We're now starting to talk about the PlayStation 4 Pro, the PS4 Pro. Oh, thank goodness. Breathe sigh of relief. There is is, um, um, some really interesting things happen. So Catherine Byrne um, in Expert Reviews has been writing about the brand new PS4. Um, entitling the article, is this the best PS4 yet? Whatever. Um, so basically, I mean, I'm sure you're asking, you're screaming out, James, what does the pro bit mean? Well, I'll tell yes, you. Yes, what does the pro bit mean, well, James? Robin, I'll tell you. Um, basically, they've got themselves a brand new graphics chip, which allows them to have native 4K resolution from okay. the PS4. Okay, which is really interesting because 4K of course, is much better than 1K. Because everyone bought 4K tellies last Christmas. I don't think I know anybody with a 4K TV. Mm, No. I think it's difficult to avoid them these days, though. It is. But if you remember when HD came out 10 years ago now, 
well, actually a bit more, but let's say 10 years ago, um, there wasn't much content on them anyway. And the TVs were always the front runners for the, actually, wasn't that the same with widescreen TVs as well? Widescreen TVs came out before widescreen movies. But anyway, yes. point. No, I think they've had widescreen movies since the 1930s. No, 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 no. VHSs. I remember they were, you used to be able to yeah, get yeah, I know special VHS. Yeah, see, calm down, sit down. You know, I'm speaking. Anamorphic, it was called, yeah, where they'd have a compressed image in a four by three format, which could be spread out onto sixteen by nine. Okay, thank, thank, thank you for that. Um, so basically, the PS4 Pro is all about 4K. That's effectively it. But also, the better um, horsepower inside it can mean that you can have more immersive VR experiences. And we all know that PlayStation have been pushing in the VR space. Um, and, of course, you can get more stable frame rates from your games. Um, so, all in all, a smoother experience. But if you don't have a 4K TV, is it worth upgrading? Well, probably not. Well, interestingly enough, um, you know, looking at the specs here, clearly, in order to boost uh, an HD to a 4K requires four times the processing power uh, well that's crude maths i would agree yeah sure well, well why not so i mean that's quite a significant increase in in horsepower really isn't it i mean uh, are there any 4k games out there um i would expect there'll be a couple um here you go you can see a full list on sony's website let's bring up sony's website um so on launch day there's more than 30 titles have been updated. Okay, so the new Hitman game, very good. I'd recommend it to all of our listeners. Um, Mafia 3, some interesting things going down there. Grand Theft Auto um, 5? No. Oh. Well, no. Then there's no games on it, if you ask me. <laughs> and uh, so how does this um, affect the PlayStation VR owners I, I mean i did see it the playstation vr in um uh, i was in game at the weekend okay with my son and uh, we had a look and people were using it they think they were paying five quid for 10 minutes what? To, exactly yeah so they were paying they were game were charging people to have a go on it wow. um but there was a queue a small queue but a queue of people who seemed absolutely unimpressed by it okay good. um um, what what uh, what does this mean for PlayStation VR owners? Well, I think it just means that if you've got a PS4 Pro, you're going to get a better experience. So, um, right, well, in terms of smoother, I mean, you're not going to affect the number of pixels, are no, you? No, no, because but, this thing, but, but as we've discussed in the past, you know, what makes VR really good is the smoothness of the frame rate. But then, of course, um, to get better frame rate on lower powered hardware, you have worse graphics. So, I'm guessing you're probably able to get now two smoother better quality experiences it's not because remember it's not just about pixels it's all about polygon counts and polygon count has nothing really to do with pixels so um yeah that's so i'm guessing for PS well, battlefield one is on that list which i've heard good things about yeah um infinite warfare call of duty i've heard good things about that um the rest of them are of well, no look, interest it's chicken and egg they have to start somewhere i mean rise of the tomb raider I think, I think from this, I mean, look, the, the reviewer is clearly very positive about the experience of the PS4 Pro, and as they should be, more horsepower equals better game stuff, which is really great. Um, 
it's completely backwards compatible with the PS4. So the games, uh, from what I've read, you're not going to be able to buy a PS4 Pro only game. Um, so if you've got a PS4 Pro, you know, you're not left out in the cold. But if you haven't got a 4K TV, which, as I said, I don't know anybody that does. And listener, if you do have a 4K TV, please let us know in the comments. Um, then, you know, what's what's the point? I think they're just playing. This is just the arms race with Microsoft. I mean, that's all it okay. is. Okay. It looks... I don't know. Is it Tectasm? Oh, Christ. No, it's not, I don't, it's not a no, Tectasm it because it's bound to... It, this is definitely... It's an future. inevitable upgrade. It's an inevitable asm. Yeah, so it's inevitable. I'll take that every yeah. single time. Well, James, let's move on to the next story and ask Technica Ron Amadio. We like his work. Tells us about Android extensions, which could be Google's plan to make Android updates better. Now, they may, Google may have found a way to backport some of the Android open source project features into old versions. Now, stay with me, James. This is going to get technical. The uh, mention in the 85-page uh, compatibility definition document they recently released for version 7 of Android, which just came out, mentions uh, uh, something called Android extensions. Now, I'm going to read this in full. It's not going to make any sense, but bear with me. Android includes the support of extending the managed APIs while keeping the same API level version. Android device implementations must preload the AOSP implementation of both the shared library XShared and shared services X services with versions higher than or equal to the minimum versions allowed per each API level. For example, Android 7.0 device implementations running API must 24 Level 24 must include at least version 1. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. This means that regardless of how indifferent your OEM is to putting updates out to your Android phone, Play services can always be upgraded or updated directly by Google. So today on a production Android device, James, there are two main API sources for developers, the AOSP, APIs, which included the, the base operating system and the proprietary Google APIs uh, that are included in Google Play services. Now, Play services is, is an easily updatable APK, while the OS, AOSP API require a full OS update, which for non-Google phones can be an absolute nightmare of roadblocks. But not saying that that's going to improve, though. I mean, doing a core OS update... Because, I mean, I'm looking at the diagram further below of how the OS is split out, and they're definitely adding a lot more. I mean, when I, I last played with AOSP back in the Android 4.2 days, there's definitely a lot more in-place services now, but the hardware access layer and the Linux kernel, and, well, there you go, the application runtime and framework in the core OS, that's where all the vulnerabilities have been. Okay, so I know the vulnerabilities may have been there, but what we're talking about here is support for. Tell me, talk to me a little bit about the vulnerabilities. Which ones? They're all in the AOSP layer. Are you saying? Well, there was. Remember the Heartbleed bug? That was that was down in OpenSSL, which uh, you know is is down there because uh, that that would have been in one of the drivers. I'm guessing. Um, the you know the issue that they had when if you open up a certain JPEG it was able to um, 
to uh, have a bu- stack, stack overflow or a buffer overflow and go. That's and... file browser, is it? No, 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 that was just in the image viewer. That was in the renderer for the images, which again was that. I think that was maybe even part of the graphics driver. So, um, you know, it's. Uh, let me just have a look. What was the last Android vulnerability? Because I know we covered it on a. Well, if we look at some of the things that are, are in Google Play services. Account authentication, uh, app indexing, uh, DHCP client, um, Google settings, instant apps, maps and places, malware scanner, location APIs, safety net, security DRM APIs, smart lock, uh, system update UI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <sighs> it's, it's it's all the stuff that sits on top of the that really does the work i mean yeah you know it's not i mean i'm looking here vulnerability exposes 900 million android devices okay this so this is a article from the no wired sorry uh the vulnerability was down to a qualcomm driver okay i mean so that would have been in the linux kernel yeah i mean so you know what they're going to do about that nothing that's <laughs> in the core os so you know it's look Okay, so maybe this well, this clearly isn't about security. This is about the fact that Apple can distribute new APIs to its devices straight away because they control everything, and Google struggles because well, their manufacturers- correct, and they're never going to be as good as that ever unless they completely stop giving Android away free to everybody, which just seems highly unlikely because it's all about the app ecosystem. But certainly this is an attempt perhaps to boost up as much as they can into Google Play services and force um, vendors to allow Google to update Google Play services, which could potentially bring more compatibility and make the um, problem of fragmentation uh, less of an issue for users. I mean, you know, th- at the moment, uh, they what for example, one of the things that they do do, I have a Samsung phone, which is on version 6, um, and the security, monthly security update from Google comes out almost instantly uh, on my platform, which means that whatever is in that security pack, I get fairly quickly. Now, that's quite a massive le- leap forward from the way before, which is potentially waiting for six months, a year, to to have a, a vulnerability patched. Yeah, true, but but that's only if the vulnerability is in the Play Services. Yeah, that's correct. So we've got to, you know, really understand. I mean, the Play Services will carry its own list of vulnerabilities. But as you say, yes, it depends what is the percentage of vulnerabilities that cause real problems that are in core OS, which is what you said, didn't you? Yes, yes. Um, look, it's it's interesting. I mean, um, it leads. This article, of course, leads with a screenshot of the Apple presentation where Apple proudly announces that back in October when they unveiled. Um, their latest Mac laptops, the iOS 10 was on 60% of devices, whereas Android 7 is on less than 1% of Android devices. Um, yeah, correct. And and of course, they're going to play on this. Uh, as a, The question is, that's not a problem as long as there's not a vulnerability or there isn't any significant security problems. I don't think this, uh, I don't think Google have answered that problem here. So I'm going to call this one a, a tech tasm. What about you, James? Yeah, I, I can't see. Um, what, what they should do is do what Microsoft did so successfully, uh, which was have a tighter integration with the OEMs. So they kind of force them to to update. Uh-huh. Go back to the drawing board, Google. Nice try, but no cigar. 
Well, James, in our final article, I'm going to move on. The Times columnist, which is a new one on me, Tom Kirshner reported uh, on November the 7th that Tesla are to end unlimited free use of their supercharging stations. Now, Tesla's said that cars ordered after January 1st, 2017 will get about a thousand miles worth of uh, um, supercharger credits each year for use at the supercharger stations. But after the credits are used, owners will have to pay a fee uh, that Tesla didn't reveal. Now, vehicles sold on or before January the 1st would still get unlimited free charging. I guess this is a nice uh, end run into uh, November and December, and I imagine it will boost car sales significantly, won't it? Uh, As people obviously think that unlimited miles is a really good thing to have. Mm. Now, Tess, go on. No, I'm I'm just kind of, I'm a bit surprised by this one. Um. Because that was always one of the big deals of buying a Tesla, right? That you kind of got free charging. Well, it was. And the question is, all right, so while Tesla wouldn't say how much these fees would be, it says that it would be less than the cost of filling with gasoline. So, And, and petrol in America is not taxed very heavily, so it's much cheaper than Europe. And the average price of US electricity is 12.9 cents per kilowatt hour, so it would only cost $10 to fully charge a Tesla Model S with a 275-mile range. At home, and as an electric car owner, James, I can tell you, you do all of your charging at home. It's very, very rare that you go out and actually use these things. Um, which, of course, though, that will change when electric cars start having range is that actually makes sense. Um, because well, no, it'll change when, uh, it, it, first of all, it's never, it, it won't change in terms of behaviors. 95% of your journeys are just your commute and going to see your mates and going down to Tesco's. The number of trips that you actually take, yeah, of course, the number of trips that you actually take, which require you to exceed the range of your electric car are few and far between. And get this, when you wake up in the morning, your car is always full. I have a full tank every morning when I get up because the car has charged itself overnight. Now, I don't have to worry about whether my tank's low and whether I need to go to a petrol station at all. So, you know, Day to day, I don't even think about charging. Whenever the car comes home, I put it on the drive, I stick the charger in. I think the issue is not so much the cost of charging and whether this supercharger network is free because Tesla owners, like normal people, will, won't just don't do these miles unless you're a taxi driver or something or you know a delivery man, man or woman, in which case you're not going to be driving a Tesla anyway. Um, I think this whole issue, I think this is a non-story. Yeah, I suppose so. It was just, it was, I knew that when they announced the Model 3 that they would say that the superchargers would not be free and therefore another reason to pay a bit more and get the Model S. But, um, uh, and well, that's not, no longer the case. So No, so I guess this, you know, I, I've often thought that the unique thing about Tesla is not the car, it's the supercharger network, because it what that did at a stroke is it removed the range anxiety, which prevents people who've got va- gasoline cars from buying an electric car. So that's how he tempted people in with the supercharger network. That was the clever, that was the master stroke, the thing that the other um, electric car vendors failed to address Uh, now he's saying that's achieved its goal which is to get a large proportion you know i think it is the most popular luxury sedan in north america um 
you know pound for pound it's competing with mercedes and bmw so it is doing you know he's achieved his goal and therefore he doesn't need it anymore and he's saying right it becomes a fee-paying part of tesla like everything else it's got to pay its way yeah okay i i understand that that, that makes sense can you charge a tesla at one of those ecotricity places yes there is a little converter doohickey okay <laughs> where you can plug in the the um uh it's called a chardimo which is this kind of you know dc uh, fast charging for all, every other car except a tesla and it converts it to the tesla standard okay can you charge your hippo with a tesla supercharger thing no no you can't charge any car other than a tesla with the in the supercharger oh, okay interesting okay well look it's it makes sense it's just a bit of a surprise because i think back to when they did the model three but hey what can i say well, yeah, they've obviously run the numbers and realized that at $35,000, they can't make money on a Model 3 if they throw in free unlimited driving. Of course, I think the problem is more acute in the United States where they've got more mile. You know, they've just, you go further, don't you? I mean, there's just more more to travel. Uh, there's longer distances to travel. And, um, True. And but what you can do east to west coast completely electric, though. Yes. Yeah, you can. Yeah, if everything's working which is pretty that's quite impressive because that's a free apart from your time for however long it takes like is it like a week or something it takes to drive that or something but <laughs> it'll take a while yeah yeah okay well great it makes sense it does and that means that we've come to the end of our story That is all for this week. You can find us at facebook.com slash techtasm. Subscribe on your podcatcher and contact us at feedback, feedback at techtasm.com. Now we record every, uh, we record at about nine o'clock once a week. Um, so watch out for next week's episode. This is me, Sir Robin Yellow. Me, Mr. James Woodall. Asking the question on your behalf. Is it real or is it just a techtasm? Tech-tasm.